Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning science-backed secrets for having more fun, getting the most effective blood sugar balancing tips, or figuring out how to move through childhood trauma. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Welcome back to our advice series where every single month I'm joined by very special guests and we answer all of your questions. If you haven't listened to the past advice episodes, I highly recommend them. You can start with the October episode with Olivia Noceda. We answer all of your questions about nomad life, sober curious stuff, maintaining friendships as adults. We have the September episode with Amy Chang where we talk about all of the beauty tips and how to figure out what you're doing with your life. They're all just really fun, really chatty, conversational episodes. You can always send your questions in to ask at lizmoody.com or I'll be taking questions on Instagram during the last week or so of every month, so be on the lookout for that. Today, I am so excited to welcome Jacqueline Johnson to the podcast. You probably know Jacqueline from her popular podcast, Work Party, where she interviews mega successful founders of fast-growing companies to hear their tips and secrets to success. Stay tuned because we did a pod swap, so I will be on an episode of Work Party very soon. Jacqueline herself is the powerhouse founder behind Create and Cultivate. She is a best-selling author. She is an investor in many of my personal favorite brands. And she also recently launched her VC firm and incubator called New Money Ventures, which helps capitalize and mentor early-stage female-led businesses through a $20 million fund. As you might have guessed, today's advice episode is work and career-themed, and I cannot think of anyone better to share her tips. We get into an exact script for asking for a raise, plus how to make sure it actually happens, the pros and cons of sharing your salary with friends, what to do when your financial goals don't align with your career choice, the best ways to generate extra income outside of your nine to five, how to make working from home more productive and more fun, whether having a job you're passionate about really matters, how to figure out what kind of career you even want tips for being the interview candidate that everyone wants to hire, exactly how to find a mentor. I was very personally invested in this question, and her answer was fabulous. How to handle job loss, whether it's you or somebody that you love, questions to ask yourself if you're considering becoming an entrepreneur, and so much more. As always, we would both love to hear your thoughts on the advice and your takes as you're listening. So definitely screenshot and tag us both on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody and Jacqueline is at Jacqueline R. Johnson. And if you love this conversation or a piece of advice really resonates with you, please share it with a friend, family member, or your work best friend. There is so much food for thought in here, and these are such important conversations to have. Sharing is hands down the best way to support the podcast, and you all ask such good questions for this one, so it is just packed with amazing advice. If you're new here, make sure that you are following the pod on whatever platform you listen on. Just go to the main podcast page, the one that lists all of the episodes, and you will see the word follow under the logo on Spotify, and there's a little follow with like a plus sign button on the top right of the same page on Apple Podcasts. And very quickly, before we get into it, I wanted to remind you that if you want to have the best Valentine's Day of your life, you need to grab the Raunchier Together deck from my conversation game company, Healthy Combo Co. We obsessively tested this to make sure that it was the best night ever in a box. It has 150 different cards across six categories. We've got fantasies, confessions, preferences, and even games and dares. It is perfect for a super fun girls' night, or it can be used with a partner to fuel 
fun and spicy conversations. Grab yours in time for Valentine's Day by going to healthyconvo.co and making your order before February 9th at the latest. I even created a limited time discount code just for the pod family. Use code LOVE15, that is love, and then the number 15 for 15% off your order at healthyconvo.co. And if you stock up and order two or more of any of our four games, you will get free two-day shipping for even more savings. So use code LOVE15, LOVE15 at healthyconvo.co. Okay, let's get right into it with Jacqueline Johnson. Jacqueline, I'm so excited to have you here to dive into all things career advice. I can't think of anybody better to speak to these questions. I love it. I'm so excited. Obviously, this is what I talk about day in and day out. So I'm really excited to be here and also to engage with your audience, which might be a little bit of a different audience than mine. So excited to chat. Just out of curiosity, you've interviewed all of these amazing entrepreneurs and people who are having so much success in their work life. Has there been anything that's really stuck out to you, a story, a tip, a piece of advice that they've shared? I always try to say this one because I think there's a lot of people that are in this position they look back and they'll say, I wish I would have enjoyed the process more. I wish I would have reflected on my successes more because I feel like I was a victim of that too. You get something done, it goes well. You're like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And you're just in this constant cycle of pushing things forward, moving on to the next thing without being like, wow, I can't believe I just did that. I'm celebrating those wins. So that is one that I've heard many a time over the years. Have you gotten better at doing that yourself from hearing it over and over? I definitely have. I mean, I, towards the end, especially was really proud of some of the things that we were able to do and really took time to kind of celebrate those wins and reflect on them versus moving on to the next thing. But it did take me like a long time to get there. We're going to get into listener questions in a second, but do you have any advice for how to concretely do that? I think that it can be tricky. How are we celebrating? Are you supposed to go out and have champagne? What does sitting in your success look like? I think it depends on if you work for yourself or if you work with a team. For me, I got better at acknowledging the team's work and effort that went into things. In my mind, sometimes as a CEO, I was like, oh my God, that went really well, meaning nothing bad happened, so move on to the next. Like, oh, that did what it was supposed to do versus, wow, so much work, so much time, so much effort went into that. We need to stop and reflect and think about how amazing everyone did. That's really what I started to learn versus being like, okay, well, we got to move on to our next big launch. But personally, also it's rewarding yourself. And that can be totally different for anyone. Buying yourself something nice, getting a massage, self-care, whatever it is. I think just having those little milestone moments is really important. And it's definitely something that I haven't historically been good at, but it's something that I work at now to be like, I should really step back and think about what I was able to do. Are there any factors that you attribute your success to the most? I'm extremely persistent. I'm really good at handling difficult situations and moving on and pivoting and changing direction quickly. And I think having that persistence matched with that resilience is a really powerful combination when you're setting out to do something on your own. I love that. Okay, let's get into some listener questions that we got so many when I announced that you were coming on and we're going to do a career-focused advice episode. So I had to narrow them down, but I think we have some good ones. So let's start with, what should I do if I love my job and I feel very personally connected and fulfilled, but there's a disconnect on the money end of things? Example, feeling I deserve higher pay is starting to affect the love I have for the job and I want to avoid any long-term resentment. That's such a great question. The good news is you love your job. I feel like that in itself is extremely rare. 
it's important to think about the type of company you're at too. Are they at their max with you in terms of where the salary is? Is there growth potential? Can you actually move up or are you at a job that is a smaller business where there's not a lot of growth that's going to be able to happen. There's not a lot of things in that realm. What I would suggest is speaking to your manager or whoever's in charge and voicing that you want some sort of comp increase. Because I think a lot of people gravitate towards salary. Like I need my salary to go up, but there's a lot of really interesting ways you can actually construct comp. One of which is being able to look at the success of the company. So if the revenue of a company is going up, is there an incentive or bonus plan you can implement that says if the revenue hits certain thresholds, I get a bonus based on that. Because obviously if the company's doing well, then they're more apt to give you that bonus, but they can't predict out what might happen. So they can't guarantee you your salary. So I think some sort of bonus incentive structure is great. There's also a commission-based opportunity. Again, I don't know what your job is, but if there's something where you bring in a certain amount of money, do you get a kickback on that 5%, 10%. So thinking about those types of things as well. The other thing is find out if you are underpaid. Do your research into your specific position, your years of experience, the city you live in. And if you are underpaid, I think it's totally fine to go in and say, hey, market comp for this position is 50 grand. I'm making 40. How do we bridge this gap and have that conversation? But it's important to not be so stuck in the mindset of salary increases and be creative with the ways that you are receiving comp. There's also equity that could be part of that as well. There's a lot of creative ways to get paid. And I think it's just about having an open and honest conversation with your employer. That leads me to another question which is, can we talk about sharing your salary with your friends? How do you feel about it? I love salary transparency, but can also get defensive about spending habits and personal finance. And I don't want friends judging me about that. It's an interesting thing. I did an Elle magazine interview probably six years ago. And the woman interviewing me was like, do you think women should share their salary? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And she's like, great. How much do you make? (laughs) I was like, "Uh." and then I was on the spot and it's published online. Did you say? I had to. But I also was in a unique position where I have multiple revenue streams, not like a one set salary. But anyway, it was really funny because I was like, good one, (laughs) good one. I think it's important for people to share their salary data. Absolutely. Where I think it gets tricky is we have salary caps, buckets, essentially, for the role, the position, the title, and years of experience. If there's a role we're looking for, and it's going to be between sixty dollars and $70,000, anyone within that role across the categories of that role will be in that spectrum based on their years of experience, et cetera. What I found start to happen and have heard stories about happening is when people are like, I make 60, you make 65, but I work harder than you. So why am I not getting paid? And that's not what salary transparency is about. And then people come in and they're like, I want to get paid that much, et cetera. Salaries are created based again on years of experience, the role, like all these different factors. If you feel like you're working harder than that specific girl, that's fine. But go into your employer and say, hey, here's all the things I'm doing. I would love to revisit in three months and show you what I've been able to accomplish. And I would love to revisit my salary. Totally fair. But just because you think you are worth more than someone else does not necessarily equate that. That being said, I think it's so important to talk about not only your salary, but for business owners, how much you charge. I had a really eye-opening moment for myself at my first company I ever started where it was a marketing agency and I was charging around five to 6,000 for retainers across the board. 
for the work I was doing. And I had a friend who had a company in New York. I was in Los Angeles who had a similar company. And I remember her saying, our minimums are 10K a month. And I was like, what? Really? She's like, yeah, I think you're undercharging. You should try. And I remember I tried on my next pitch for 10K a month and we got it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could have been doing this for so much longer. There's so much value in that. But I think it really has to come down to looking at it not from a, I wish I had what she had perspective or he had, but more of a, how do I get there? And what's my path to getting to that place? And looking at the data behind it as good information to have as you're building out your strategy for your life, your career, et cetera. It's so tricky. A lot of my girlfriends and I will talk about our salaries and how much we're paid for that pay transparency thing. But then I have a girlfriend who shared her salary and then she noticed that her friend, whenever they would take an Uber together, her friend would assume that she would pay because she knew that she made so much more money. It can create these really tricky friendship dynamics. Do you share with your girlfriends who aren't connected to your work at all? Yeah, it it is a tricky thing and there is boundaries you have to put into place. It's actually something that I feel like has happened to me quite a bit. People expect me to pay for things because they'll know I have had successful exits that have been written about. And it can feel kind of shitty sometimes. Sometimes you just sort of feel like you're being taken advantage of. And I don't think it's malicious. I think it's just unintentioned and like, oh, this won't be a big deal for her. I think it's important to have those conversations. I talk to my friends about money all the time, investments to make. I love that piece of the pie where we're able to kind of all help each other about what's working, what's not working. But look, money is a weird thing. Dynamics are hard to navigate. One day you're up, one day you're down. It's just important that everyone approach with respect and gratitude of where they're at in that moment because you never know what someone's situation is really. It's a tricky one for sure. I love being generous with my friends, but I also don't want to ever create a situation where I feel like they're hanging out with me because I'm generous with them. You know, I think about that with celebrities all the time where a lot of their friends are on their payroll and what a strange dynamic that has to create. One of your tips, I assume, for negotiating a pay raise is to think about comp outside of directly what your salary is. But one of the questions I got was, do you have any specific tips for negotiating pay raises and better benefits, both in person and then an email or written request? I feel like I get emotional when advocating for myself at my job, and I have a hard time being confident and articulate. Do you have any advice? I get that. It's hard in person to be able to navigate those conversations. So I'm a big fan, though, of putting everything in writing anyway. So I think that's a good step forward. But here's what I'll say. Everything is negotiable for the most part. When you're thinking about what you want to ask for, think about what will actually affect and impact your lifestyle. Right now, a huge thing for everyone is flexible work. If you have a job that requires you to be in the office, can you negotiate two days a week at home? If you're a job where you are working on a lot of weekends, can you negotiate for more paid vacation time? If the health benefits aren't to your liking, can they pay for a gym membership? All these things are negotiable and it really comes down to what you value and what you ask for. But the saying of the squeaky wheel gets the oil is so true. You have to ask. The worst thing that can happen is they say no, and that's fine. It's really about going in and negotiating on your behalf. That being said, I think it's also important to flex that skill of having hard conversations. So I know it's difficult and you can get emotional. I have been there and I understand it, but it's one of the best skills I've learned from running my own businesses. And I guess just life in general is really facing those fears and having tough conversations and being okay with the outcome, even if it's not what you wanted. I think that's a really important skill to keep flexing and you'll get better at it over time. Maybe they're like, look, we'll give you a raise in in six months. You have to prove yourself. Here's how I think you should prove yourself. 
go back to your desk and say, thanks so much for the open and honest conversation. I'm really excited to revisit in six months. Based on our conversation, here are the six things I'm going to work on that we're going to be revisiting in six months. I've set the calendar invite, looking forward to chatting. Getting that in writing is so important because after six months, you might be like, what were the things I was working on? Or if the company shifted, you have to really hold people accountable in that way. And I think they'll appreciate it too. Do you think that writing a script or something like that is helpful to get over those nerves initially? Or when you're going in with the initial ask, how can we calm our nerves and how can we directly ask for what we want in the most effective way possible? For sure. Writing things out, having a little bit of a script. I would do more bullet points because obviously you don't want to go in and like read from a piece of paper. But having those bullet points in front of you makes total sense to me. The thing that you have to realize is the person that is receiving this information is also just a person. Once you sort of pull out that element and that power dynamic of they're a person too who gets nervous and goes into meetings and talks to their boss or deals with difficult things. Everyone's on the same page. It's about really just finding that human connection and preparing. You want to be able to speak to things if they're like, why do you think you deserve a raise? You can't just be like, oh, because I'm supposed to ask for one. So you got to have that information to back it up as well. Yeah. I always tell my friends, they don't care that you want to go on a vacation or you want a new car. I've seen so many people ask for raises and they talk about the advances in their lifestyle that they want to experience. And I'm like, that doesn't matter to your company. Come in armed with numbers and value that you have brought to your company. And to that end, I actually think having an ongoing Google Doc, when you have a win, mark it in there, especially if there are numbers that you can tie to it. It will be great for future resumes. It'll be great for asking for raises, but you'll always have that information ready at hand. And I think that's really helpful. I want to go back when we're talking about the money stuff. I got a lot of questions from people who love their jobs, but they felt like they were in pay capped careers. A lot of teachers where they were like, I love teaching, but you cannot make good money as a teacher in this day and age, which I could do a whole monologue about how insane it is how we treat teachers in this country. And I think it's absolutely wild. But let's say you're in a career you love, but it doesn't align with your money goals for your life. What would you do in that situation? I think now more than ever, it's possible to have multiple careers, multiple jobs, a multi-hyphenate income stream. Whereas building an e-commerce site 15 years ago was expensive, hard to do, almost impossible to get up. You have Shopify. You can plug something in in five seconds and you own an e-com store. Diversified revenue streams and the gig economy are really coming to a head in a big way. I think people are realizing the nine to five, the nine to six salary will support your lifestyle, but it won't grow your wealth. So how do you think about the ways that you can make money outside of your nine to five that you love or like Nine to three, I don't know how long school is now, but finding that life you love is important. Finding a job you love is important. I always say your nine to five is important, but your five to nine is also essential as well. So what are you doing in between that, that you can help generate revenue in a bigger way? And there's so many different things. You could take surveys online and get paid. You can do affiliate links. You could do so many different things that you can monetize now that you couldn't 10 years ago that you could do from the comfort of your own home. I think taking advantage of that is really important. And then obviously, if and when you have the means, starting to invest some of your money in the market, getting a little creative there so that you can maximize out what you are taking home. Are there any side hustles that you especially think are worth looking into right now? Like I know TikTok loves Airbnb buying and selling. There seems to be some way you could buy a bunch of stuff on Alibaba and then sell it on Etsy businesses. What do you think are some ways we're underlooking that are actually not scammy, but realistic and good choices as side hustles. There are some scammy ones. It's kind of wild. 
But I think when it comes to side hustles, obviously your rental income is great, but that's an expensive one that you kind of have to get moving on quickly. One thing that I've been seeing a lot of people doing is user-generated content. So not being an influencer per se, where you have to have tons of people that follow you, but creating content on behalf of brands. There's a lot of people that are doing that, that are reaching out and charging $150 to $300 per reel. They obviously get the product in exchange, but then some cash. So if you're someone that's really passionate about a certain category, whether it's beauty and skincare or wine and food, food or whatever, you can start reaching out to these brands and showcasing what you're able to do and they get paid for that. If you layer on some affiliate stuff there, great, then you're getting paid for that as well. The other one I've been hearing a lot about is courses, kind of putting together different courses, whether it's on Coursera or Skillshare or any of these, you can obviously monetize though. And that's just passive income at that point. I love the UGC one because it can allow you to scratch a creative itch as well. If you enjoy creating videos, if you enjoy creating aesthetic, beautiful content, which I know so many people who do and they just do that for fun, it's like, why not turn that into something that you can get paid for and you can get free product from? And I also loved your point about reaching out to these companies. One of my life mottos is never be the one to say no to yourself. And I think a lot of people would be like, well, how could I message Olipop? Why would they even care about somebody like me? Why not let them say no to you? And they might say yes, especially if you send them a fun aesthetic video that really fits their vibe. I think that's exactly it. And also now, Brands have to be content creators. They have to be churning out content in record time. And for the most part, they don't have those people on their team. They have social media manager who posts it, but they don't have like an in-house content creator. So thinking about their need for constant content and for them, that money is a drop in the bucket. But for you, that's a real impact on your bottom line. I think it's important to explore that. And to your point, it's creative. It's fun. You get to test new products. It's a cool little side hustle to add to your list. I love that. Okay. I am a freelancer and I work 100% remotely. Do you have any tips for fighting loneliness and building a routine that feels productive? I feel all over the place. It is the worst. I totally get it. I think it's really challenging. I personally miss the social vibe of an office going places. I also love being able to stay home and obviously have that ease and comfort, but it is a really big challenge. Having a routine is crucial. I think leaving your space is crucial going to the gym, working out, going on a hike, walking around, whatever it is, getting outside of the house is super important. Also making plans to meet in person with people that you're working with is also important. A lot of the team members that I work with are based in Los Angeles, but I've never met them. Go get coffee, work from a coffee shop together, just getting out of the house. And then make sure you have a couple nights a week where you have plans with your friends, getting dinner outside, getting drinks and leaving your space. Because Otherwise, you can start to lose track of the days. I get in that mode and I literally will tell my friends, I got to get out of the house. We got to go out to dinner because it's very easy to get stuck in this routine. And it is lonely. It can be so lonely. Get out, make moves, break up your day because it can be long days where you're just sitting in front of your computer typing. Get off your phone, get off TikTok, leave your house, just move your body in some way, shape or form. I had on a recent podcast episode, the doctor shared the benefits of taking three-minute micro walks throughout the day. So instead of just doing one big workout, there's actually huge metabolic and health benefits to doing just three-minute micro walks. And so now every hour, I just try to leave my house and do a three-minute micro walk or even just go around the yard just to get up. I think that we underestimate the importance of simply being outside of the physical structure of our home, and it's hugely beneficial. 100%. Do you have any key elements of your morning routine that you feel like help set you up for success? 
I split my time between Los Angeles and Napa. It's two totally different vibes. Napa, I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's like a farm and such a different vibe there. Coming back to LA recently, it's like you're back in the mix. It's hustle, bustle, loudness, sirens, all these things. In LA, what I always like to do is morning workout. So I either will do a Peloton at home or I'll go to Pilates or I'll go around the reservoir walk. For me, I typically set up my day so I have a break in the afternoon. So I'll walk my dog, I'll go grocery shopping, I'll get out of the house in some way, shape or form. And usually at night, I will either go out to dinner and go out for drinks or cook at home and have people over. It's a very social kind of vibe. And then I have days where I'm just all by myself all day. But I also try to break up house stuff and work stuff in the house too, incorporating a little bit of both folding the laundry after a call, just kind of mixing that in. So it's not just work, 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 house, 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 house. Having those two things intersect, I think is a good brain change as well. I also think that that helps us take advantage of the fact that we are working from home. If you can do things like use your five minutes of interstitial time to fold laundry, it can make you realize like, oh, there are benefits to this life, even if there are obviously drawbacks as well. And I think leaning into as many of those benefits as possible can help you feel better about the situation. Okay. I need advice. Do I need to be doing a job I'm passionate about because I spend so much time at work or should I be in a stable job that I don't really like? it really just depends on your personal preference, right? I think a lot of people can go to work and check in, check out, do a job that when they leave, they don't think about it. Sometimes I'm envious of that because when you have a job you're passionate about, you're always thinking about it, working on it. What's next? What's next? It consumes your life in a way that that type of job doesn't. And I think there's pros and cons to both. If you have a passionate life outside of your work, a hobby, your family, whatever that is, you travel and your job is a means to that passion, fine. I think that's totally fine. We do live in an era where you go online and everyone's like, I'm living my dream, my passion, my this. And you're like, wait, I'm just collecting a paycheck. Am I doing it wrong? I don't necessarily think so. There's pros and cons to both. It just depends on the life you're trying to build, the lifestyle you have and what your passions are, frankly. And if they can be monetized, you don't want to monetize all the things you're passionate about because then they become work in some way, shape or form. How do you want to keep those things separate? Does one help the other? If you're miserable in both, that's when you need to reconsider what you're doing. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, loved, loved the Osea Andaria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. 
Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Liz Moody. Money was such a source of anxiety for me for a long time. I'm always talking about building good, healthy habits, but I didn't have any when it came to financial wellness. Once I started getting educated about my money, I began to feel empowered about it. And pretty soon I was like, how did I let this cause me so much anxiety for so long? If you are struggling just like I was, you need to check out YNAB. YNAB is an app that teaches a set of simple money habits to help you spend, save, and give without guilt or second-guessing. It's one of the apps that experts I talk to recommend over and over because it's grounded in techniques that you won't see anywhere else that actually work. You start off by learning four simple core habits that are actually genius and have completely changed the way that I think about money. And then it guides you through saving so you are never caught off guard by a surprise expense again, so you feel safe and secure with money. But maybe more importantly, it also helps you fit the things that you love into your spending plan so that you know you have the money for that bachelorette party or that weekend getaway that you've been dreaming of. Also, and I love this, you can add up to six users to one account. So if you manage money as roommates or with your partner, it has got you covered. It has incredibly high ratings on all platforms and has become a huge cult hit because it's helped millions of people actually build the financial life of their dreams, even people who truly thought it was impossible. Check out YNAB and learn the habits with a one-month free trial, no credit card required, at www.yabb.com ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You'll get a month completely free and be able to see for yourself what a big difference it makes. I promise you're going to get back way more than you spend. That's www.ynab.com slash Liz Moody. You need to have passion in your life 100%, but that passion doesn't need to be your career 100%. Yes. Do you have any tips for emerging as a leader and someone worthy of promotion when I do great work, but I'm very introverted and I speak up less than others? So I would love for you to speak to this listener. Maybe you could share some qualities you look for in people when you're thinking about promoting or elevating them as well. I think being an introvert, it's important. A lot of people do really good work in silence and that's important as well. So similar to what you said earlier, Liz, keep track of all your wins, keep track of all the work you're doing. And even if you're the head down type of worker, that's important as well. But you have to, when it comes down to promotion and talking about what you've done, 
email it if you don't feel like talking about it, get it out there in some way and like, hey, here's all the amazing things I've been doing. Here's how I've impacted the company's bottom line. I would really love to be considered for this promotion of X, Y, and Z or a salary bump of this much. There's so many ways that you can become a thought leader and emerge that doesn't require you being a public persona or a person that speaks to camera or whatever that might make you uncomfortable. LinkedIn is a great platform for this. You can write op-eds and ideas and share your thoughts on existing stories in a way that can start creating you as a thought leader within your category. Finding your own path is important, but being able to toot your own horn when you've done the work is equally as important. And if you don't want to do it in a face-to-face way, just shoot an email out with that information before going into that meeting and just say, have you a chance to review what I've been able to send? Would love to talk about this. But introverts can succeed in those environments as well. And just to be totally clear, as the boss, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, this is so weird and self-promotional if somebody sent you an email with their list of wins. No, I would be stoked because I feel like sometimes people come in and it's just expected because they did their job. They get a salary bump, but that's not how it works. I would love if they were able to record it. I would also love if they put in there the learnings, things that they want to get better at. Amazing. That's what those reviews are for. People want to come in and just showcase the highlight reel. That's the world we live in. But I think being able to say like, here's things I learned. Here are things that I noticed that we aren't doing well that I would love to take responsibility for and jump on and help with. Proactivity is the chef's kiss for any boss. They just want to see you trying and that makes all the difference. Totally agree. Is there a cadence that you think people should be paying attention to when they're asking for promotions or raises? Should they be waiting for their annual review? Should they do it right after a big win? How often? Let's just say you have a new job, right? You just started your new job. I would ask for a 30-day check-in. A 30-day check-in is not necessarily when you're asking for a raise, but it's really to say, hey, I'm 30 days in. I've got the lay of the land. I think I understand things. Here's what I'm excited about. Here's what I've learned. Here's where like, I have questions because sometimes you start a job and you're like, okay, this is weird. I didn't know this was on my job description. And you just kind of keep going. And then that resentment builds. I think the first 30 days, it's important to have that meeting to be like, how do you think I'm doing? What's missing? Here's what's weird for me. Get it off your chest, essentially. Then from there, set a six-month meeting. In that six-month meeting that you've been there, I would start setting expectations for your growth trajectory. Okay, I've been here six months. Here's what I've done. Here's what I'm planning to do in the next six months. We have our one-year review. And here's like where I'm gunning towards. Now I've been here six months. I know I want to have a manager role. I know I want to be at six figures. I know I want to be participating in upside on the revenue side, whatever it is. Once you get to the 12 months, showcasing everything you've done, how you've hit the goals, where you want to be. And that way it's not a surprise to your boss and it doesn't put them in a weird situation. I think right after a big win, asking for more money feels like it'll throw them off guard. Like, is this what I'm going to have to do every time you do good work? You're doing good work. I want to know that you're here and loyal and there's longevity. But I think that pattern is really strong. And again, if you go in for your raise and you don't get the raise you want after the one year, basically saying, hey... I really love you to reconsider. I really want to be at this salary range. Can we do a three-month check-in? And here's the things I want to accomplish in those three months. Here's how I'm going over and above and revisit this comp change. I think they will be really attuned to that because the work needs to match up. The effort needs to match up and the goals need to match up. And all those things match up, you're golden. And then if they still don't give you a raise, maybe you're in the wrong company. Then maybe it's time to start looking. After that year, do you think that roughly once a year is a reasonable cadence to be expecting a raise? I think it totally depends also on the type of company you're at. But every six-month check-in with your manager is worth it. Put it on the calendar. If you don't take it, you don't take it. But I just think 30 minutes to align on what's working and not working. It's absolutely crucial. 
I remember for my second job, I had internalized that women got paid less because they didn't ask for raises enough. So I went in and four weeks in, I asked for a raise and then they gave it to me and I was like, oh, this works. This is great. And then four weeks later, I asked for another raise because I was like, well, women aren't asking for raises enough and that's why they're not getting paid enough. And they were like, we give you a 20% raise four weeks ago. Like you need to slow your roll. But I will say while I'm like, haha, I was a silly young 20 year old. Nothing bad happened. They didn't fire me. They thought I was a little bit silly and naive. It's almost a good lesson in that nothing bad happens just by asking for it. Worst case, they say no. That's it. I think once you become unattached to that outcome and you accept what the possibilities are, what's the harm? Especially if you're backing it up. Backing it up is the most important part of this. How can I figure out which career I want and what to aim for when there is so much out there? How do we figure out what our job should be? It's so, so hard. There are so many things out there. Narrow it down to three to four things that you're super interested in and try to work in those fields. I always say, if you want to be a CEO or founder, work for a CEO or founder, work right next to them in their office, see how they do it and then revisit it. But the way I figured out where I wanted to be was through internships, frankly. I interned at a ton of different places. I interned at magazines. I thought I wanted to be a magazine editor. And then when I got there, I realized sales drives so much of the editorial And editorial was such a small subset. And I was like, oh, but I want to do the editorial work. I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then I started like listening in on the sales side and it just became this really challenging thing of what do I like to do? But you just have to dive in and see what you like about the different businesses. And then if you don't like it, move on, cut your losses quickly. I also think that it's worth considering what you want your entire life to look like. Thinking about what are the top salaries in the field? What are the hours like? What is the shape of your life going to be in any given career is as important of a question as do you like the work you're doing every day? And there's also really interesting research around we find happiness at work if we like the people that we're working with. And that's a huge, huge, huge factor. And so I think that looking at who are the types of people that are working in this industry and do you like them? Are these the people that you want to surround yourself with for the vast majority of your waking hours? Totally. I coach a few people and one of my clients is in between two job offers and the comp is around the same, all of it's around the same. And I was like, who do you like better? That was really one of the deciding factors. I was like, because these are the people you're going to work with. Which manager do you vibe with better? Because that's going to really dictate your experience there. Yeah. I had a guest. She used to be a wedding photographer and she said like one of the number one factors people should consider for their wedding vendors they hire is whether they like them because they're going to be the people who are around them on one of the most important days of their life. And yet we're just kind of going through their Instagrams and seeing if we like their photos, which I thought was a really good tip. Okay. I am a new mom and this season of my life is making it hard for me to be a great employee. I'm using a lot of PTO for daycare illnesses. I don't really have the energy to go above and beyond. I know this is just a season. Do you think there's a particular time in your career when you should hustle more? Could I be missing an opportunity if I choose to do only what is required so that I can maximize family time and home life? This is such a hard one because childcare is such a problem. I think at the end of the day, being a new mom is such a specific time in your life, but you need to talk to your employer about the flexibility that you need to do what you need to do. I mean, I'm not a mom, so it's harder for me to understand, but I've employed a lot of moms and I don't know how they do it. It's really incredible. And I think a lot of the moms that work for me were really happy because I was just extremely flexible to pick your kid up from school, go. Your kid has a fever, go. But some people aren't like that. So I think it's just about being easy on yourself in some ways, not put the pressure to be perfect at work, perfect mom at home, but find a rhythm and a cadence that works for you and try to ask for that flexibility from your employer. 
just to piggyback on that, we talked a little bit about when you had me on Work Party, the difference between being productive and being busy. And I think especially in these times in our life when our time is really limited, focusing on what are the things that are moving the needle. You can even ask your boss, what are the things that are really moving the needle here? And you can take that upon yourself to figure out what those things are and spending your time on those rather than sending back and forth a bunch of emails or sitting in on a bunch of meetings that you absolutely do not need to be a part of. I think meetings are such a time suck. And the more I've been like, I don't think my presence is necessary in this meeting. Do I need to attend it? And more often than not, they'll be like, no, absolutely step out. And that's an hour of my time back. So I think being really protective of your time and aspiring as much as possible to use the time you have to be productive, not just to be busy. I love that. What about the second part of that question? Do you think there's a time in your career where you should hustle more? Do you think in the, your 20s, you're laying the foundation for your 30s and 40s? How does that play out to you? I think it's all relative, but yes, in some ways. I spent the majority of my 20s out in networking and hustling and building businesses. And that network I created has really impacted my net worth, for lack of a better word, long-term in terms of the relationships I built and what I was able to build during that time period. I'm a little exhausted now. I'm definitely tired. You just change your priorities, obviously, along the way. But I also know women that are starting companies in their 40s and 50s and absolutely crushing and hustling and doing their thing. So I don't think there's a timestamp or a time limit. I think energetically, you're the most free of obligation and you're as open-minded as you'll be in your 20s just because of the responsibilities and experience. So I think it's a great time to kind of explore and dabble as well. I think that's true in life too. You can take big risks at any point in your life. You can absolutely do it your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. But in your 20s, you're probably not going to have a family. You're not going to have a lot of the things that are going to make it harder for you to experiment in that way. So I always tell anybody who's in their 20s, and honestly, regardless of your age, if you have the flexibility, explore it, enjoy it, lean into it because you don't know when that flexibility, when and if that flexibility might be going away. Do you have any interview preparation tips? I think interviews are crucial. It's how you're setting the tone for your entire employment and what your expectations are. First and foremost is don't think of an interview as something that you have to win, that you have to do good at. You have to be the one that does a great job. Interviews are a two-way street. You should be asking just as many questions as they're asking and being able to set yourself up for success at the company long-term. So I think doing your research on the company, any questions you have in regards to the benefits, all those things, get it out. But also ask Important questions that are going to come up. What's your communication love language for a potential manager? What has been some of the biggest milestones of your career? What makes for a great employee to you? And if they're like long hours being the first one in, the last one out, and that doesn't vibe with you, that's a red flag. So as much as the interview is about you being a candidate, it's also about you setting yourself up for success in the long term of being at that company. Okay, you know what stat blows my mind? People in the U.S. take about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90%, 90% of their time indoors. And that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. I talked about this with a world-famous doctor friend years ago, and I was like, it is awful. What do I do? And she said, you need a high-quality air purifier, and you need to keep one in any room that you spend a ton of time in, which is why I am so excited to introduce you to Air Doctor. Air Doctor goes above and beyond the HEPA standard, which requires that 99.97% of particles at 0.3 microns be captured by a filter. 
Air Doctor uses an ultra HEPA filter that was independently tested and proven to remove at least 99.99% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. That is 100 times smaller than the HEPA standard. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander. For any other pet parents who are allergic to their babies, this makes the biggest difference in my allergies with Bella. Highly recommend for that alone. This includes dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Also, if you live somewhere that is coming up on potential fires this summer, please, please, please get an air doctor so you have it ready. Breathing in smoke is awful for your lungs. And as somebody who lives in California, it gives me such peace of mind that I have my air doctor ready to go. We have a few, but if you are starting with one, keep it in the bedroom. That way you're breathing great air for at least a third of your life and it'll help you get better sleep, which will have so many downstream positive effects. And as a little bonus extra, it has such a nice white noise sound. It actually helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you do not love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code LizMoody, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And this part is exclusive to Liz Moody podcast listeners. You will receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Liz Moody. There is so much incredible science behind red light therapy. There's research going all the way back to 1903 that won a Danish physician a Nobel Prize for showing that exposure to concentrated red light accelerated physical healing. And research from NASA has shown that it boosts the production of growth factor proteins and collagen, among many other incredible things. I am obsessed with red light therapy. It is so science-supported, and I've personally seen huge, huge benefits. I use Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device, which is a red light panel, so I'm not limiting its benefits to my face. I feel like the masks are so popular right now, but I would like to expose my entire body to the red light. That way, it helps with not only my skin, my collagen production, but also increasing energy, decreasing pain, repairing cellular damage, improving mental health and cognitive function, and so much more. You are not spending that much more money to get a panel versus a mask, but you get a much more versatile device with way more powerful effects. Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device gives you professional-grade equipment straight at your home for the best price that I have seen anywhere. You can stand your Max panel on the floor on any flat surface, or you can hang it on the back of a door. It is really lightweight, and it is so easily stored away in the closet when you are done using it for the day. You only need 10 to 20 minutes, so Zach and I actually meditate in front of it naked, Uh, but there's lots of ways that you can habit stack it into your routine, so you do whatever sounds good to you. Check out Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device now on bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code LizMoody at checkout. Bond Charge products are all HSA, FSA eligible, giving you tax-free savings of up to 40%. And for a limited time on top of that, my listeners will get 15% off when you order from bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code LizMoody at checkout. That is B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com. You will also get free shipping and a 12-month warranty. Go now to get this exclusive offer that is bondcharge.com with promo code LizMoody to get 15% off. 
Any tips for getting over the nerves that come with interviewing? I just think you get better as you kind of go in there. Preparation research always makes you feel more confident going in if you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think doing a deep, deep dive into the company. I've interviewed at edit companies where they'll ask about specific articles or offerings on the website and things like that. And taking the time to do that preparation just makes you feel like you can handle anything that comes at you. Even Crate and Cultivate, I'd say like, what do you think we're doing right? What do you think we're doing wrong? And if they couldn't answer that, it's like, oh, you clearly haven't looked at any of our content or don't know what we're doing. So people who have done that research, it's really important. Is there anything that stands out for you even before the interview stage, like on a cover letter or resume? I try not to be judgmental based on resumes and cover letters and things like that. I'd like to look at face value for the experience and what the person is and all that good stuff. But I have gotten some like crazy resumes and stuff. I had this one girl print her resume as a wine label on a bottle of wine and send it to me. So cute. It was so fun. Wait, so do you like sort of the more gimmicky stuff like that? Or are you like, this is silly, I want the information? I liked it because I am an experiential person. It's all about those little moments. I thought it was really sweet. She didn't get the job, but we ended up staying in touch. And she was so wonderful long-term. So it's like a know your audience situation. She was doing something that might not have worked at maybe like a VC, but because you were into these experiential moments, it really worked for you. Exactly. And it was to be my personal assistant at the job. And it was like, I know you love wine. She clearly had done her research, knew who I was, had watched my Instagram. So I thought that was really sweet. I think for cover letters, my biggest thing is that tailoring and that individuality. Have people done their research? Do they understand your company? Have they even read the job listing? Like, I think one of the best tips is you can look for the things that are asked for in the job listing and then say in your own words how you can do all of those things. Don't make it sound like, oh, this thing, this thing. But you can kind of twist those asks to point out how you have all of those qualities. And that signals in their brain. They just have this subconscious moment of being like, oh my God, they're everything I ever wanted. How magical is this? Totally. In one of our job listings, maybe it was my personal assistant one. It was like, I know this is a long job description, but if you're interested, apply with the subject line cookie. I got all these things that were like, clearly they had read the entire thing. Yeah, it was cute. This is a little bit specific, but do you think that the person should say their salary request first, or do you think you should wait for the company to say what the salary for the role is? I think they changed the law where you have to disclose the salary in the job description now. There's a lot of back and forth about it. But one, I think it's important to ask what the range for the salary is. Ask first, ideally. That's the ideal scenario because obviously they have a range in mind. But if they ask you, I mean, obviously just shoot 20 to 30% higher than what you want. You're probably right in the range. And if they say, look, actually, we were looking closer to this, then you can say, look, for the right role, I'm willing to go down. I work for a company where we were interviewing for a role and there was like 10 people came in for the role and five of them were men and five of them were women. And the men consistently asked for like sixty dollars to $80,000 more. It was an insane discrepancy. And I just wanted to come in and tell these women, just ask for more money. You're so qualified. And we ended up going with one of the men for the job, even though his salary requirements were so much higher than any of the women's were. Because I do think there's also the thing sometimes where we assume people will think, oh, they're too expensive. I won't go with them. But actually, they'll think, oh, that person's really qualified. They're charging that much. They must be worth a lot. I'll negotiate them down if need be based on what I actually have for this job, what I have available. But I think that going higher is always a good idea. I agree. I totally agree. Again, the worst thing they can say is they'll negotiate back. 
I'm dying for a mentor, but I have no idea how to find one or how to ask them to be my mentor when I do find them. I feel like everyone is so busy, but I can feel that hole in my life. Where should I start? Mentorship is huge, right? It's really, really challenging to figure out how to ask for a mentor, what kind of mentor you want. But here's the thing I'll say. Mentors come in all shapes and sizes. Historically, everyone thinks their mentor needs to be someone older and wiser who's been in their industry for a long time. And that can be the case for some people. But also there's mentorship that's horizontal. If you want to become a business owner, there's young business owners that you could be talking to. So I think it's really about reaching out to that person. Hey, look, I'm looking for a mentor. I know you're extremely busy. Here's what I think I would need. I'd want like 30 minutes of your time once every two weeks. It can be on your walk to work. We can go hike. We can do something else while you're trying to do it because I know you're super busy, but this is what I'm looking to gain and what I'm looking to get out of this. That's important is to lay out what your expectation is of like, here's what I'm looking to do. I think you can really help me do that. The other thing is now we have the internet. You have access to all these amazing people. So I'm part of an app called Intro. I think it's intro.co. And it's essentially on-demand mentorship. They have everyone from like Rachel Zoe, Nate Berkus, huge names to Alexis Ohanian and like VCs and things like that. And you could book 15, 30, 45 minute hour long sessions with these people. And I've done it for the past year. I've done over 150 sessions. I absolutely love it. It's so fun. I get to meet really cool people. I've just absolutely loved it because previously I would die to have done that in my 20s to have met with one of the top people in my field. So I think now that more than anything, there's so many amazing places to access mentorship and really lean into it in that way. If you're not doing something that you're paying for, like that app, what's the app called again? Because it sounds super cool. Intro. Okay. If you're not doing something that you're paying for, do you think that as a mentee, you should be offering something in return? Or do you think that the idea is just that the mentor wants to help out a mentee and that's kind of what you're speaking to? And I think oftentimes that's what it is. It's about flattery, frankly, helping the next generation. I think there's a lot of amazing interest in that side of things as well. Like I'm an advisor to a ton of companies. It really just depends on where you're at, where you're at in your career and what the ask is and how much time it's going to take. Yeah, I think it's such a good tip to be incredibly specific about what that ask is so people know what they're getting into versus like, be my mentor. And you're like, oh my God, are you going to be calling me crying at two in the morning? Exactly. (laughs) My husband is looking for a career change, but he's not sure what he wants to do. How can I support him and what can I suggest for him? Whew, that's tough. I don't know about her, but I'm such a, oh, why don't you do this? Look, I found these five things. And it's like, leave me alone. But it's important to be as supportive as possible during this transition into what they want to do and helping them if they ask for it. It's about figuring out your role in that search. Do you want empathy right now? Do you want me to like sympathize with you where you're at and what you're looking for? Or do you want information and resources? Because I can provide both. And I think it's just about, you know, being there for them in that specific way. But at the end of the day, it's going to really come down to what they want to do, how they want to do it. And then you just have to be there to be a cheerleader and be supportive. It's such a good idea to check in with what they're actually looking for and keep checking because one day it might just be, I want a sympathetic ear. And another day it might be, I want to sit down and go through LinkedIn listings with you. Okay. I was just laid off in the big wave of tech layoffs. It's impacted obviously my finances, but also my psyche. I'm feeling really low and discouraged. And it's hard to feel excited about applying for new jobs when it's going to be so competitive. And I think it's going to be so competitive because there's obviously been so many people laid off. Any idea on how to make it through a layoff with the least damage and maybe even come out better than before? 
I always tell the story, but I was laid off in 2010, I think during the Great Recession. And that's when I started my company. So that's when I became an entrepreneur. Like, I truly was forced into it after being laid off from a bigger company. So I think so many good things can come from being laid off, even though you feel horrible in the moment. And I think it's hard to not take things personally. It's hard not to feel like you're not good enough. It's important to get back on the confidence train. Keep reiterating your value and your value add. Meet with people who hype you up 1000%. It can feel awful. But I think the reality is you weren't fired, you were let go. Most of those layoffs are blanket. They're looking at positions and salaries and you're just on a spreadsheet. That's how it goes. So don't take it personally. Use this time to really think about what you want to do next, what your next move is, and what your value is for these different companies. Flex your muscle a little bit. Go on some interviews that maybe you're not that excited about first and just get out there and start flexing your muscle how you answer questions, how you talk about things, freshen up all of your different networks, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram and updating resume. Take this moment for you to just refresh because usually when you're in a job for a long period of time, you're just not thinking about your next step. So use this time to really refresh and get back in the saddle and start exercising that interviewing skill. But the reality is people are going to need employees. It's just about thinking about what type of environment do you want to be in and jumping into those interviews quickly as possible so you don't lose that momentum. I also think these days more than ever, thinking about your work in terms of skills rather than labels of I am this person, I do this career forever. More and more people are doing tons of different types of jobs and tons of different types of careers. And your skills carry over from job to job, even if the job title or the work experience doesn't directly apply. Thinking about your work in terms of look at all of these skills I've gained and maybe thinking broader and more creatively about all the different ways you want to or are interested in applying those skills and the possibilities there. Because then it could be a really cool opportunity to take the skills you've learned and pivot to something you might like even more. Yeah, this is a huge opportunity to kind of reinvent what you want and what you're looking for and what your next move could be. Do you have any questions that somebody could ask themselves if they are maybe considering whether they want to go down an entrepreneurial path? How do we know if we're cut out for that life? More importantly is what's your idea? You can't just be an entrepreneur. You need that idea. You need to be solving that problem. And then you really need to think about what your current situation is and what your life is about to look like because your life will drastically change where everything falls on you. The buck stops with you. From a financial perspective, what does that look like? How do you invest in it? Do you need investors? There's so many questions you need to ask yourself. But if you're drawn to some idea that you have, or sometimes it just becomes like people knocking on your door asking for, if you make really good blueberry muffins, everyone wants your blueberry muffins. Should I sell my blueberry muffins? Yes, probably. Take advantage of that momentum. One is don't overthink it because you can overthink something to death. But two, if something's drawing you to that life, to that career, to that specific industry, pay attention to it and start dabbling in it. See how you like playing in it and start with a side hustle. Keep your nine to five, start working on it, and then make that transition more seamless. Do you think there's anything that people get wrong about entrepreneurship or that you wish people knew was actually the case? I mean, it's so much harder than it looks. There's been a lot of glamorization of being the boss and all these things. It is extremely challenging. The challenges and the goodness are usually the same in like the amount. It's really, really hard. Grass is always greener, right? It's just about understanding your bandwidth and what you want out of your life, what kind of life you want to live, what kind of risk tolerance you have. All of those things go into it. Could you share maybe one tip for somebody who was starting or thinking about starting their own business? 
Start by starting, get it out there, get it out in the world, don't overthink it and start getting feedback almost immediately. And then I would say, really think about what your goals are. Again, it doesn't have to necessarily be for the business, but it could be for you. Like I want to start paying myself within six months. I want my first employee by this and like pay attention to those goals and milestones along the way. And then could you maybe share one tip for somebody who is working within a company, but wants to be living their happiest, healthiest life within that? Yeah, I think that's on your own terms. When you're working for someone else, it's all about communication. It's all about the ask. It's all about trying to make those changes. Going in and ensuring that you are able to get the flexibility you need, to your point earlier, being productive, not busy. That's just the nature of being able to leverage a bigger corporate job and doing what you want to do. I love that. Well, this was all so helpful. Can you share a little bit in your own words about what you're excited about, what you have going on right now? I know there's a zillion things. So much going on. So obviously, I'm the founder of Create and Cultivate. We have a ton of different events coming up, tons of career resources online if you are ever looking for that sort of thing. I have the podcast work party as well. And I have a $20 million venture fund called New Money Ventures where we invest in the next generation of female-led businesses. So if you're raising money, check us out. That's what I've been up to. What catches your eye with your fund when you're looking at who to put money behind? There's so many different things, but currently we're looking to invest in creator economy specific businesses or femtech, fem healthcare, currently raising their series A. But we look for founder first, obviously. You're investing in the person as much as you're in business. Are they disrupting an industry or solving a specific problem? And then also what is their path to profitability and how is their business model working? Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of this wonderful advice. I love this conversation. Thanks so much, Liz. It never fails to blow my mind that I get to sit down with these people who are at the absolute top of their field and I get to ask them all of our questions. It is such a privilege and I'm just so grateful to always be learning with all of you. If you would like to have your questions answered on any future advice episodes, send them over to ask at lizmoody.com. They will always be completely anonymous. We will be back next month, so tune in for that. But we have our normal episodes every single Wednesday, and we have amazing ones coming up, including an episode about hacks for better sleep, one all about becoming more confident, and one about the ins and outs of threesomes, pun intended. So make sure that you are following the podcast so you do not miss out on anything. Just go to the main page for the podcast on whatever app you listen on. It's the one with all of the episodes listed and hit the button that says follow. And do not forget to grab your raunchier together deck in time for your Valentine's Day or Galentine's Day celebrations. It is perfect for fueling spicy conversations and so much laughter with either your friends or a partner. Head to healthycombo.co and be sure to order by February 9th at the latest to get your game in time for Valentine's Day. You can use code LOVE15 for 15% off your order on healthycombo.co. We rarely do discounts for Healthy Combo Co., so jump on it. It is going to expire soon, and this is the perfect time to stock up. We also offer free two-day shipping when you order two or more of any of the Healthy Combo Co. games for even more savings. Okay, I love you and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. My favorite health hacks are the ones that have the biggest payoffs for the smallest amounts of effort and this is such a good one. When you are drinking your tea or coffee in the morning, just add one packet or scoop of Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides. I definitely was a bit of a collagen skeptic until I had dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bowe on the podcast. You can scroll back to her Ask the Doctor episode. 
She said it is not a myth. There is research to support how great collagen is for your skin. And then, of course, I did my own deep dive and I was so impressed with the known benefits for things like your skin, your hair, and your joint health. Studies show that collagen can help improve your skin's hydration, which is something that I am especially looking for during this time of year when everything just feels a little bit drier. Zach likes the marine collagen, and then I like the grass-fed beef collagen, but both are incredibly well-sourced and certified by third parties, which is the number one thing that I look for. And since I've started incorporating collagen into my everyday routine, I have noticed strong and healthy nails, and my hair feels thicker and fuller, which we love, and Zach's knees are feeling so good despite all of the time that he is spending running. One of my favorite things about the Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides is that I cannot taste them at all, and they dissolve so well in hot and cold beverages. Not all collagen can dissolve in cold beverages, and some days you just want an iced tea. To try out Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Packets or their bigger tubs, use code LizMoody for 25% off. Yes, 25% off. That is a huge discount off of your first purchase at greatlakeswellness.com. That is Liz Moody for 25% off at greatlakeswellness.com. 